You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for His glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. My potato plants finally wilted. If you've ever grown potatoes, you know that's a good thing. I've been tending to these plants all spring and summer. I can't tell you how many wagonfuls of mulch from back behind the house that I brought up to the front of the house to put in the idea is to keep mounding up new dirt onto the potato plants as they grow through the old dirt. So that, so that the, the goal is to fill the whole mound up with potatoes. The plants were gorgeous deep green, they kept growing, and I kept adding more mounds and mounds of mulch just the way YouTube told me to do. But I don't have x-ray vision. I have no idea what's going on underneath those mounds. All I can see is that the plants look amazing. Until this week. The plants were wilted, I'm back from Oklahoma, and it's time to dig potatoes. I've been proud of these plants. Did I tell you I was proud of these plants? <laughs> they were beautiful. People would come over to the house. I wanted to bring them over and show them how deep green and big my potato plants were. And so I'm all excited. I have visions of wheelbarrows full of potatoes. I gather the kids and I start digging. And digging. And I dig for a long time before I even find one. Let's just say that the Tommy Hullet potato crop wasn't exactly bumper. Then I wilted. I know that after the service is over, I'm going to be getting telephone calls with advice about growing potatoes. And I'm, I welcome it. But that's not my point. My point is that I don't want my life to be like my potato plants. Lots of promise. Lots of work. But little fruit. I don't want our life as a body to be like those potato plants. Look good on the outside, busy, just a little fruit. This is a strategic time for us and for our world. This virus has changed us significantly. We haven't all worshipped together in about six months. And that's just the tip of the iceberg as far as the distance that is between us. Some experts say that 30% of people who are regularly in church will never be back. It's a strategic time for other reasons as well. 
This generation is experiencing nothing short of social revolution. Sexually and politically. I'll just give you just one, one example that, that comes to mind. Our, our society has bought into a doctrine of sin that says sin is not something that I do, but something that the power structures in society do to me. I don't have to tell you that if, if that's what people believe, it's very challenging getting from that to personal faith and repentance in Jesus. This is a strategic time for me personally. It won't be long and I'll be 46 years old. And it's very likely that I have more behind me than I do in front of me. This is a strategic time for us as a church. I am am thankful that God has assembled a body of believers here that is eager to follow Jesus and are saying, we're eager to follow you, Jesus. You go with us and we'll go. And, and we're also in the process, delayed as it's been, of choosing additional leaders, pastors, and deacons to lead our church. This is a strategic time. And so today, I want to answer some key questions. <clears throat> like, where do we go from here? What's the plan? And then, piece by piece, step by step, week after week, month after month, year after year, I hope this vision and these values are refined and clarified and then continually worked into the DNA of who we are as people and who we are as a body so that this this is just how we roll. So much so that we're able to pass it on. Let's start quickly with what we already know and we have embraced as a body. Here's the foundation of it all. When Jesus speaks, we do what he says. Just because he said it. He's the king. He's my king. He is our king. So when he speaks, we say, yes, sir. And so there are some things that Jesus has made abundantly clear. So the first is he wants us to trust him. In real life, with everything that's happening, every single time we sin, he wants us to believe the gospel. For us not to wallow in our sin and self-pity. For us not to say, well, I've already gone this far. I might as well just give in. No. In the moment, for us to believe. There's a sacrifice. Jesus died in my place to set me free from this sin. I believe that. He wants us to trust Him. This is what He says. Mark 1.15 Repent and believe the Gospel. John 6 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. Secondly, we know that he wants us to love people. He's made that abundantly clear. 
Matthew 7, 12. In everything, Jesus says, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Galatians 5. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Third, he has made it abundantly clear he wants us to make disciples. Go, therefore, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Trust Jesus, love people, make disciples. If you had to boil it down, that's our purpose. Those are our goals at First Baptist Church. But we've said, well, that's great, but we want to be very clear that what he's not saying is that he wants us to trust him one time. That's how lots of Baptists talk. You have someone who hasn't lived with Christ in years. Who hasn't walked as a disciple in years. Who really hasn't believed in decades. But then go to their funeral. Oh, when they were 12 years old, they trusted in Christ. Is not what he's is not the goal. I want to show you this. Look over to First Thessalonians, chapter four. First Thessalonians four. Look at verse one. Finally, then, brethren, we request. I'm sorry, I wait for you to get there. I'm so thankful. I, I'm thankful for two things a day, just as you turn there. One, that you are so eager to turn to the Bible. And then the other thing that just really touched me today was to hear little children singing. I don't know who it was, but little children singing. And here's what that means. It doesn't just mean that those little children are singing. It means they're in a family that is passing down the gospel. Lots of reasons to praise. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Look down to verse 10. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. More. This is so critical. Because this is the firewall that stops cold Christianity and self-righteousness and stagnation. Excel still more. I know you're trusting. I know you're loving. I know you're making disciples. By God's grace, excel still more. This is what he says, Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your minds. And if you go back and look, this is, this is in the present tense. It is not an over-translation for us to say, be being transformed. It's a continual transformation as we are continually being conformed to the image of Christ, just like we were predestined to be. 
This is why we as a body have said we don't want to just trust him and love his people and grow disciples. What we want to do is we want to be growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. Until we are anxious for nothing in our lives. We want to be growing in trust. We want to be growing in love until... Everything that we do is done in love. And we want to be making disciples until every single person in our community and among the nations are obeying all that Jesus commanded. I am thankful that by God's grace, there has been an embrace of that mission. But the question remains, but how are we going to do it? What does it look like practically on the ground? How are we going to go about it? Because we go about it this way or this way, but we can't go about it every way. So why are we doing this and not this other thing over here? And what's the plan for keeping us working and pulling together in this mission? I've been thinking over the last months and seeking the Lord's face in this, there, there's five phrases that keep on coming up in my mind that, that, that really, are, really describe the philosophy of ministry that I want to lead you to embrace. And so, before we go there, let me start by just reading some key passages And I want to defend this a little bit because it's not as if we're going to say these are the only passages that matter. That's not what I'm saying. But there are some passages in the Bible that are repeated more than others. There are some some Old Testament passages that get get quoted more than others. And so these are are passages that in my own heart that, that that have tended to shape a philosophy of ministry. And they're not going to be strangers to you. You've heard me say them over and over and over again. But, but out of these passages have, flown, have, 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 have flowed this philosophy of ministry that I want to share this morning. So, so the first is Luke 9.23. If anyone wishes to come after me, Jesus says, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. John 3.17. I can send these to you if you let me know. God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. John 15, 16. Jesus says, you did not choose me. But I chose you. And I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. And that your fruit would remain. Acts 2. This is such a shaping passage. Of when I... What's the goal for ministry? I want... Our church to look like Acts 2, 42-47. They were continually 
devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's a vision for the church. Ephesians chapter 4 From Christ, the whole body being fitted together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building of itself up in love. Colossians 1.17 He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. He, Jesus, is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 We proclaim Him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man completing Christ. Paul says, for this purpose I labor, striving, and I love this, according to His power, which mightily works within me. And finally, 2 Timothy 2.2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who are able to teach others also. There are other key texts. We want to be faithful to every single verse of the Bible. That's why we dig into a text every single week and ask the Lord to use that text to shape us. But these have been especially influential in shaping these five distinctives in our philosophy of ministry. And I just want to introduce each of these briefly. The first is we want to be in Christ. I hope you can see this and I hope you can see this at home. If you're at home and you can't see this, or if you're listening on a DVD and you can't hear this, I I want you to let us know so we can send you this so that you can go back and follow along. In Christ. We want to be a people who are in Christ. It is impossible to overemphasize How central and all-consuming we want Jesus to be in our lives. He is our substitute. He is our Savior. He is our King. He is our brother. He is our friend. He is our identity, our wisdom, our praise, our purpose, and our prize. We do not trust ourselves. We don't trust our goodness. We don't trust our wisdom. We don't trust our own hearts. We trust Him. I read an article this morning about a study that's just been put out by Arizona Christian University that a majority, that is 52% of Americans who describe themselves as Christians, believe 
52% of Americans who describe themselves as Christians believe, and I quote, that if a person is generally good or does enough good things during their life, that they will earn a place in heaven. No! We say with the Apostle Paul, there's nothing good that dwells in me that is in my flesh. And we cry out with Paul, who will set me free from the body of this death? And then we praise Jesus with Paul, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, that in Him there is now no condemnation for us. With every fiber in our being, we want to say, Jesus has set me free. We trust Him. We trust Him to live for us. We trust Him to die for us. We trust Him to be the power that empowers us. We even trust Him to give us the faith to trust Him. We trust Him to give us the faith to keep on believing. And we don't stop there. We say it every week. We trust Him to equip us in every good thing to do His will. Him working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. We want Him to work until every motive, every word, every deed, every decision is pleasing in His sight. Until He comes to have first place in everything. It has to start here because we have to first be His people before we can faithfully do His work. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. We don't want to get practical until Jesus and us are inseparable. So my question is, are you in Christ? There is no step two until you are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, call me, text me. But in Christ... We are naturally on mission with Christ. So of course it gets very practical. And I'm calling the practical on the ground. We worship and follow a God who came near. And when He lived on planet earth, our God had dirt under His fingernails. Therefore, if we're going to follow Jesus, our hands are going to get dirty too. That's what I'm talking about on the ground. The battle for souls takes place on our knees and in relationships. I am convinced that the days of build a building or build a program and they will come are over. They're quickly coming to an end. I am convinced that what God is doing in this generation is raising up a people who are in Christ and on the ground connecting with their neighbors and their co-workers proclaiming Jesus in, with 
words of truth that are backed up with deeds of real love. Here's what I'm saying. I don't think that Newton Conover, or Bangladesh for that matter, is going to be one to Christ and discipled to maturity by big evangelistic events. I believe that Newton Conover will be one to Christ when the people of God, you and I, connect with our neighbors and connect with our co-workers and connect with our children and we personally pour God's truth into their life. Here's the good news about that. Viruses and lockdowns can't stop that. We have seen very clearly, if we place our hope for the gospel moving forward in Newton-Conover to depend even on things like us meeting together, certainly on big programs, that may be taken away very quickly. But you cannot stop, nothing can stop, the people of God connecting personally and sharing the gospel with their neighbors, with their children, with their co-workers. You, you with me? On the ground. That's the philosophy. On the ground. Here's what else it means. It means we want to be real. No show. We want our lives to look how they are. We want... What you see is what you get. We want to renounce every form of theology without humility. Of lofty words that sound great, but aren't lived out with practical deeds. We want to renounce every form of spiritual looking activity without genuine worship. We want to renounce religion without love. We want to renounce with every fiber in our being that I'm different here in this room than I am at home. We want our children to see the same person worshiping Jesus right here that they see worshiping Jesus in their house. We want to renounce every form of I am different on Sunday morning than I am on Monday morning when life is hard or on Friday evening when work's done. Here's what else it means. It means we don't merely want to worship together. We want to live together. Can you hear Acts 2 in the background of this? We want our lives to be together. God designed His church to be together. Living real life together under the apostles' teaching. Oh, there's a need in the body? Oh, I can help. Oh, there's a need in the body? Oh, I got some stuff I can sell. We'll meet that need. And here's the best part. With gladness and sincerity of heart. On the ground. Now, now step back and, and notice what I hope is taking, is taking shape. Here, here, here's our purposes. Growing in trust, growing in love, growing disciples. Well, how, how we, well, what does that look like? What's our philosophy? How, how practically is that? What's the, what's the heart that, that we want to bring to that task? In Christ. On the ground. But flowing out of that philosophy... I hope you hear, is a, is a process. It, it, 
We want to live lives that commend the gospel. We want lives where people are actually asking us questions. What, where's this hope coming from? We want to make personal connections with the people in our life that are far away from God. And then we want to proclaim Jesus to them with our words and with our love. And then we want to take the people that God saves and we want to disciple them to maturity. We want to teach them to follow Jesus. And then we want to unite them with other believers in a healthy church. Which, which brings us to the next distinctive of our philosophy. And that is with each other. What we do, we do together. We want to be a God-honoring church that is the way He designed His church to be. I, I simply cannot be any more clear than Ephesians chapter 4. So turn, turn back. If you're in 1 Thessalonians 4, turn back to Ephesians 4. Just a couple books. And I want to just point out a few things. I'm not going to get to expound this text, but I just want to point out a few things to you. First, I want you to notice the huge emphasis on God's people being together. And you will notice that we're called to be together even when we don't agree on everything. That's very clear in Ephesians 4, 1-3. Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Real relationships take humility. Relationships, even with saved sinners, takes a gentle heart and takes a lot of patience. Look at verse 2. It says it takes showing tolerance for one another. That, that word is most often translated putting up with each other. Colossians 3.13 says bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Love isn't just for easy relationships where your personality and your opinions and your views naturally jive well with each other. True love begins and continually requires self-crucifixion. Verse 3 Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If you're hearing the Holy Spirit, what He's saying to you is that real relationships take work and personal sacrifice. It's hard to keep humans together. We have different political views, different experiences, different upbringings, different ways of looking at the world, different opinions about the effectiveness of masks. And so far, some of you are like, I think you're describing my marriage. It, if that's the case among a married couple, 
How much more is it the case in a diverse church? We see things differently. But the Apostle Paul reminds us in verses 4-6 through that what divides us isn't nearly as real or as deep or as important as what unites us. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. Those things matter infinitely more than politics or personal opinions, certainly more than personal preferences. God designed His church to be together. And He means together in heart, together in mind, together in sweat. So so for the sake of time, I'm going to skip down to verse 11. But I want you to notice one more thing. That unified diversity was specifically designed... To bring the unique gifting and work of every single member of the body onto the mission field of our lives together. Here's here's how he says it. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building of itself up in love. The body needs every single part. We're going to come back to that in the coming weeks. But if the body's going to be faithful, growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples, we need the gifts and the grit the sweat equity of every last member. So, let's, let's review. What's our purposes? Growing in trust. Growing in love. Growing disciples. And our philosophy. What's the most important thing about the, the beginning point, the ending point, everything in between... If this is going to happen, it will be because we are a people who are in Christ. And we're working not behind a screen, not... The word I'm looking for is, is, is escaping me, like um, not unanimously, but um, I don't know what I'm saying. But Anonymously, thank you very much. Us individually, in real life, on the ground... With each other. Next. And we're going to pick up the pace. Our philosophy. What we want to be doing. And growing in trust. Growing in love. And growing disciples. Is for the world. 
I have been in a study that takes one verse in John's Gospel every day. And a few months ago, John 3.17 stuck out to me like never before. For God did not send the Son of the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. I read that and it was like I was hit with the obvious stick. Jesus came to save the world. You know how much time I spend complaining about the world? How much time is spent, how much emotional energy is spent, even in this room, fearing the world? John 3.17, Jesus says, no, you are on mission with me to save the world. I want to show you something that's amazing, and I don't think that we think about it enough. So much of the great things that God gives us are never meant to only bless us, but much of it is meant to reach the world. Just think about this. Just think about what we just talked about, unity in the body. Unity in the body, that's a gift from the Lord. It is good when God's people dwell together in unity. It is a, it is, I I told our, we've gotten to see some precious people in our lives this week. It is precious to have dear Christian friendships. That's precious. But it wasn't just meant for us. Jesus, right before he goes to the cross, in John 17, Jesus praying, and here's what he prays. I in them... And you, Father, in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that, here's here's the purpose for it, so that the world may know that you sent me. The blessing of God on us is meant to be a blessing to the nations. Look at this, Psalm 67. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause His face to shine on us, That, so that your way may be known on the earth. Your salvation among the nations. God blesses us so that all the ends of the earth may fear Him. This is the gospel that we have heard over and over preached to Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a great name. I am going to give you this great land. I am going to make you, I'm going to bless you. And then I'm going to make you a blessing to all the nations. It is good for us to love and enjoy each other. It is good for us to work for the good of each other. It is good for us to give careful attention to the flock. But Jesus came to save the world. And if you are united to Him, if you are following Him, you will be working to see every single person on planet Earth trusting Him and following Him too. One more. Until He returns. John fifteen sixteen again. You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. It is one thing to repent of your sins and to trust in Jesus. It is another thing to persevere in the faith. To keep on repenting and to keep on trusting until He returns or calls you home. It is one thing for us to be part of building a healthy church. It is another thing for the church, this church, to still be healthy when every single person in this room is in the grave. 
It's one thing for us to be part of building a healthy church that stays healthy for generations. It's another thing that this church would give birth to other healthy churches that, that give birth to other healthy churches that stay healthy and reproduce themselves. We have to take the long view. We have to to take what we've heard from God and from His servants before us and entrust that gospel to other faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Here's what that means. It means not just doing stuff, but it means us. And this is, we are weak. I am weak. But the Word of God compels me. You must strive to raise up the next generation of leaders under you. You may be a great Sunday school teacher with a fantastic fellowship in your Sunday school class. You may be a great D group leader. You may be an amazing evangelist. But if you want that to last, then invest that in other people who are able then to invest that in other people. We have to take the long view. We're going to die. But when we're in our graves, we want First Baptist Church to still be making disciples. Still be trusting in Jesus. Still be loving each other. Do you see? Which means that we must invest in leaders. It means we must be working to be healthy and then planting new healthy churches or working to help revitalize old churches that have wandered away from the gospel. Which means building healthy partnerships that will help us to last. Now I know this has been a lot to take in. But we're wrapping it up. I hope, I hope you can see it. I hope you can see our purposes. We want to be a people who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. And, and, and what's, what's the heart? What's the philosophy? What, what's that going to look like and feel like and be like? We want to be a people who are in Christ. So that everything we do is not just activity, but flowing from Him. We want to be a people who are, who are living the Christian life on the ground. In real life. Sharing the gospel in real life. Not putting on a hat and doing the Christian thing whenever it's my assigned time to do that. But living as a missionary in our lives on the ground. We want to be a people who are doing this, sorry, who are doing this with each other. We want to be a people who are giving ourselves, who are loving fellowship in the body, taking care of each other well, but we are living as missionaries for the world. And we want to keep on doing that and keep on doing that until Jesus returns. This, this then flows into a process. If, if we were dropped in Newton, North Carolina with the assignment from Jesus Himself, I want you to reach this community with the gospel and disciple them to maturity, what would we do? Well, I think, Tommy, it's obvious what we would do. The first thing we would do is we'd live lives that commend the gospel, right? We would seek to make connections. Well, again, we're dropped here. We don't know a soul here. We're just here to reach this community. We would seek to make connections with people in this community. And then what would we do? We would seek to proclaim Jesus to them with our words and also with our deeds of love. And we would seek as God saves them in His sovereignty, we would then want to disciple them up to become mature, mature followers of Christ. And we would want to unite them. There's a, a bee dying right now. We'll, we'll, we'll let this get over here for a second. 
because this is important. Success. Let's hear it for Chris. That's right. Love the body. Okay. <laughs> so you, you, you see this process. Lives that come in. We then want to make connections. We want to share Christ. We want then to disciple people up. We want to then to unite them in a healthy church. That is actually what a church is supposed to be. And then we want to invest in that church in leaders. And we want to have strategic partnerships so that the work we do is going to spread and is going to remain. Let me tell you what I hope to do. I want to continue to preach to the Bible. Listening as God speaks from His Word. And I want, over the years, practically, step by step, one at a time, I want to develop in us the doctrines and the habits we need to make this vision a reality at First Baptist Church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, in some ways, what you've told us is so simple. Trust me, love people, make disciples for my glory. And yet, we are here and we can say we can't do anything. We can't accomplish one tiny piece of that unless you both equip us And empower us to do it. Father, I pray that you would make us a people who are are intimately, by faith, connected to Christ. Abiding in Him. Depending on Him. And then following Him. And I pray, Father, that you would empower us to bear fruit. And that our fruit would remain. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton Podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.